Hello and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders. This is the show where I speak with the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today I am joined by a simply phenomenal individual. Her name is Jill Hughes and she's the Managing Director for Accenture Song and the Executive Sponsor for Mental Health for Accenture UK and Ireland. She has had a wealth of experience building capabilities for growth, not only within the UK, but also globally with over three decades worth of experience within marketing, within consulting, across the board in digital, HR, leadership and commercial. She's very passionate individual and we're going to be hearing today amongst many other things her journey of how she came to be where she is today but also why she's incredibly passionate about mental health awareness welcome to the show Jill wow what an introduction Leila thank you very much for inviting me on and I'm delighted to talk to you today thanks so much Jill I I should say I always love speaking with you because I know we speak frequently at, at present and, you know, really knowing and, and having got to know you over the last couple of months, what with the work that you did with brand learning and then with Accenture across the board with your many clients, it's really been quite inspirational. But for those who are who are tuning into the podcast, who, who know you not quite as well as myself, talk to us a little bit about how you ended up up going onto this onto this journey and, and landed up in the role that, that you're in right now because of course you work for a number of global corporations that are uh, household names and you've got a fascinating personal background as well with uh, I think you're the youngest the family of three aren't you from memory I am indeed I am indeed yeah very happy to um, share a little bit so I grew up in Derby and as you say the youngest of a family of three Went off to university, um, University of Bath. I was actually the first of, you know, my kind of immediate family to go to university. So it felt like quite a quite a big thing at the time. Not sure I was quite ready for it, if the truth be told. While I was at university, I doing a business degree. I did. I was lucky enough to do some industrial placements, including one at Unilever in marketing. I didn't really know what marketing was at that time. But, you know, as I got involved in that and realised it was really about understanding, you know, attitudes and behaviours of people and how to influence that, how to meet their needs, etc. I just got really fascinated by marketing and I joined Unilever in marketing when I graduated. I worked on a whole load of different different brands, mainly very unglamorous categories, it has to has to be said. I worked in margarines, frozen food, ice cream, that kind of thing. And then after a number of years with Unilever, I, I just decided to that I really enjoyed the kind of project side of the job. So I joined PwC as a principal marketing consultant there, and I was with them for about five years. Well, while I was at PwC, I was, you know, I was doing a typical job of a consultant. I was away from home most nights a week. It was quite a high pressure, high reward job. I was also planning my wedding at the time. And 
you know, as anybody will know who's recently kind of planned a wedding, you know, it kind of brings to the fore all sorts of kind of family discussions, debates, arguments, in some cases, tensions. And I was doing this while I was away from home all week. And, you know, one day I was back in the UK and was traveling into London by train. It was actually a tube train. And the tube train stopped between stations. And we all know that, you know, the train has stopped, you know, they're waiting for the train in front. I was standing, the train was packed. And I suddenly started to struggle to breathe. And as I struggled to breathe, I started to kind of almost hyperventilate. I felt I was going purple in the face. You know, honestly, I thought I was dying. You know, it was just the most frightening thing. And I felt like everybody was watching me. And what was probably, you know, three or four minutes in total actually felt like an hour. You know, it was such a scary feeling not being able to breathe. And finally, the train moved, got to the station. I kind of threw myself out onto the platform. And that was my first experience of having a panic attack, which I didn't realise what it was at the time. But I was a strong, resilient person. I was not the kind of person that had mental health challenges. You know, I'm not that person in my mind. So I didn't tell anybody about it. And I pressed on to the office. And then the next time I was on the tube train, I had those same feelings again. And then it extended to when I was on a normal train and a plane and then in a traffic jam in a car, and then in the hairdressers and at a party, I just had this overwhelming need to breathe and get out. And all that time I kept it a secret. And it actually took until one day, I was trying to get into the office and a number of trains came and I wasn't able to get on board the train. And, you know, finally, after I'd watched three or four trains go, I had to phone my boss who I was going to meet and say to him, I'm really sorry, I can't get into the office. I can't tell you here, but is there any chance you can come to me? And amazingly, he got straight on the train and came to meet me at the station platform. And for the first point, first first time I talked and I told him what I'd been going through and The first thing he said to me, which was an incredible thing, was to say, what you're going through is not that unusual. I've heard many people go through this. And it just kind of this wave of relaxation hit me that maybe I wasn't really losing it. And he said, here's what you need to do. Here's where you need to get help. Now, I was so lucky that I had the support of of that person on that day. And since then, I've been a really passionate advocate of talking about mental health so many years you know flash forward many years on and you know I after five years at PwC I then joined a a small startup brand learning who I've been proud to be with for over 20 years now we've really kind of been through a journey of growth during that period and five years we became part of the Accenture family And one of the things that's been brilliant about being part of Accenture is that they really have a very strong mental health philosophy. 
So I got involved in their programme right from the early days of us joining. I became what's known as a mental health ally. I became a mental health first aider. Then last summer, I took over as the mental health executive sponsor. And I feel it's an incredible privilege to to do that role and continue to really build this culture where it's safe for anybody to talk about mental health, where we can break down the stigma of mental health and really bring our whole selves to the work that we do. So that's a little bit about my story of kind of how I got got to here. But I hope you can hear that kind of the passion that comes from me, I guess the personal experience, but then seeing the impact of that amongst lots of other people who I've seen go through similar journeys to myself. Well, thank you so much for telling your personal story and also how it links into each and every step of your career journey. And like myself, as I, as I hear this story and as I know people listen into this podcast, they'll probably be thinking life is so it can be really quite serendipitous. We have these real pivotal inflection moments within life, within our career, within our personal life as well. And let's face it, there's a real blur now between the two in particular, given everything that's happened with the pandemic and digitization and such, that you can see these times have really impacted, but also positively the journey that you've then been on up until becoming part of the Accenture family, as you put it, and really now yourself being at the heart and centre of driving forth this this programme of positive awareness. And I wonder whether you can talk to us a little bit more about mental health allyship, because the, you know, the pieces of of work within this programme at Accenture are really rather impressive. I believe it is, I think you you had said previously, one in five perhaps are mental health allies. You have thousands of people now within this program. And that is that's really something to to behold and something that I believe other organizations and leaders listening in to this podcast can learn from. You know, I'm I'm very lucky that I took over this role from you know amazing individuals and team who, you know, have been working on this area for, you know, seven years now in Accenture. So, you know, that team have accomplished an awful lot over time. I mean, I think I think overall, you know, our mission for the work that we do is pretty simple, which is to make it safe for anybody to talk about mental health within Accenture. And also to ensure that everybody knows where to go for help in that moment when you're suffering. We want asking for help to be seen as a positive step for all. We think it's very important for you know, people to bring a very human side to the work that they do. You know, that we obviously are kind of working with clients every day, and the human connections that we make with our clients are are key and I think you can only do that if you're bringing that sense of humanity along with the the expertise alongside it. So in terms of the programme I mean as you say kind of right at the heart of our programme is this amazing group which is our mental health allies. So 
mental health allies are really people that are working across the business in normal everyday roles and they're a bit like the first line of defense here so that if somebody you know is working on a project it's not a great day for them you know they are feeling stressed or anxious in some way they know immediately who they can talk to so We've now got nearly 3,500 allies in the UK and Ireland, which is incredible. Nearly 10,000 globally, I believe, and really kind of driving those numbers. And, and our allies are people that have been trained not to be therapists or counsellors. You know, they don't have that kind of specialist skills, but they are trained to have very open conversations with people to to listen as much as anything because listening is fantastically important to connect with somebody when they're feeling isolated low potentially and to point them in the direction of some of the support resources to help them thrive and be at their best again and we know that when people do get help you know over 80% of the people who reach out for help say it's been very beneficial to them. So we think it's very important they do. You know, there's still some way to go. I think still, you know, in our society at large, there still is some stigma around mental health. So we still know statistically that about half of our people that have mental health challenges for a variety of reasons, don't reach out to get help. And we want to encourage more of them to do that. So that's where our mental health allies come in. And, uh, you know, they really are a fantastic, a fantastic resource that we've got to really help drive this culture of normality around talking about mental health. I absolutely could not confirm more Jill with everything that you have said and those numbers are are just so wonderful 3,000 in the UK island and nearly 10,000 globally that is just incredible and you're absolutely right there is still a huge stigma attached to this it is it's like culture isn't it it's often how described diversity inclusion belonging and equity it's living it's breathing it's sleeping it's something that we must never fully take the foot off the gas on because we all experience different life changes and there are bound to be things that are you know times more challenging than others and you know you sharing your story others sharing their stories allows that safe place for others to then feel they can do the same in particular when there is someone in a in a senior or admirable position like yourself who is speaking up about these things it's what we often call the trickle effect but myself personally you know I've suffered for many many years many years been on antidepressants for over a decade and it's something that I've learned to live with but I don't see it so much as a bad thing these days but it took others to talk out about this for me then to feel comfortable and I think in the same situation it is true for others if it's one person 
even two, three, many people that listen to this that think, hey, do you know what? I've heard that. And so I'm now going to go back to my organization. I'm going to go if I'm in Accenture or I'm outside of Accenture. I'm going to go and raise a hand and say, do you know what? I want to talk about this. And that is what kind of real significant difference it can make to people's lives. And when we and when we have, uh, to use your words again, these, these kind of thriving, happier people within the workforce, then those individuals are far more productive. It makes complete business sense as well as it does be being the right thing for, for humanity. And in particular, from a strategic point of view, which I know is a real key specialism of you and the work that you do, you see these pillars, and I'd love you to talk talk us through some of these pillars of, of strategy, how this can really support for the long-term sustainable future, as mm. it were, because we've got new generations coming into the workplace. We've got more generations than we've ever had in the workplace. There's five, I believe, now. And so ensuring that we keep teaching, training, evolving, so that this continues is, is critically important. But lovely yeah. to talk through a couple of those key pillars because this is a, a success story. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, just to pick up on kind of one of the things you were just talking about, about people sharing their story. You know, I think it's so important for people to hear others share the story. And thank you. Thank you for sharing, you know, so openly, you know, your own you know what what you do from a from a mental health fitness perspective. I mean, it's it's really interesting, isn't it, that none of us mind sharing when we when we kind of you know go running to keep ourselves physically fit, but it there's still stigma around what we do to keep ourselves mentally fit. So it's there's a real real difference, I think, in our preparedness to speak about it, and I think. You touch on something really important as well about the commercial impact of this, because, you know, I, I guess at the heart, the reason why, why we do this, the reason why we think it's very important is, you know, very simply because we think it's the right thing to do. You know, we, we want our people to feel seen, safe and connected and to be at their best. But there is an important commercial context. So there was a there was a study that came out very recently that estimated that the cost to employers of mental health problems is between 53 to 56 billion annually, which is incredible. And that's through a whole range of things from absenteeism, from presenteeism, when people are physically present but not really present from sickness and from turnover of people as a result of mental health challenges. So, so there's a big commercial driver, I think, for the UK PLC, as well as the fact that it's the right thing to do. And in terms of kind of the pillars of our activity, I mean, yeah, as you rightly say, within our strategy of kind of what we want to do in, in the mental health area, there's four areas that we really try to major in on. So the first is kind of what we call promoting. So promoting these kind of messages around mental health awareness, promoting the fantastic work of our mental health allies and encouraging more people to sign up to be mental health allies. The second pillar, which I think is 
is becoming increasingly important. When I talk to leaders in other big companies, we're all kind of talking the same kind of things really at the minute, which is about prevention. So many companies now are providing lots of support resources and an employee assistance programme line like we ourselves are. Do we really understand enough about the drivers to work-based mental health challenges and are we doing enough to prevent them? And I think what that means is really building in mental health measures into into all of the things that we do, into our end-to-end employee experience, into our training programmes, into our day-to-day culture, into our metrics even, so that we are really addressing some of the work-based causes. The third pillar is what we call connection. And obviously, we're going through one of the biggest changes in ways of working in the workplace in my lifetime, really, this move to more hybrid working. And being able to adapt that and create the right ways of working that suit all of the different populations of our community and help everybody to be at their best is really important. So we want to stay very connected with the different communities across our employee base and make sure that we are balancing, you know, the in-office work that we do to, you know, be creative, to innovate together, to connect as teams, to build a community with the kind of homeworking where we all take advantage of the kind of things that we've enjoyed over the past couple of years the reduction in commute the ability to go to the gym in the morning or whatever it is that's worked for your day so that's connect and then the fourth very important pillar for us is what we're doing to lead the agenda so we talked at the start about sharing stories I think the impact this has in particular when our leaders share their story has a disproportionate impact. So we're really trying to encourage our leaders to tell their story. We're trying to encourage our leaders to really make it a core part of their own leadership. And, you know, we are building it into our own programmes to help equip our leaders to be modern leaders of the future. So they're the kind of four pillars that we're working on, promote, prevent, connect and lead. Super. And they're so easy to remember as well, Jill. Those four key pieces are really something that those listening in can take away with them and know this is how and this is why we ought to be making these long-term sustainable changes and or get involved ultimately. There is no no reason not to get involved. There's no reason for organisations to think, hey, we'll put this on the back burner because as you very clearly pointed out, huge commercial benefits to UK and global PLC. The amount of money this is costing, 53 to 56 billion, I think you said, that is, I mean, that is astronomic, isn't it? Absolutely astronomic. 
even if we carved out the smallest proportion of that and organisations were to implement, imagine the incredible change that could happen. Now, before we wrap up, because I could speak to you forever in a day, Jill, I always could. This is this is the issue. Every time I speak to you, I'm running out of time or we're running out of time because I love talking to you so much. But I'd love to whip into a quick lightning round, if I may, before summarising. And I'm going to start with some of the hardest questions first and give you 30 seconds or maybe a minute to answer because it's you especially. But what does diverse and inclusive leadership mean to you personally? I know it means many things to many people and that's the great thing about it. It is we're all diverse and unique in our own special ways. Yeah, it's a really good question. I think it's about creating an environment where everybody feels that they can be themselves truly in the workplace. I think it's about encouraging that diversity and seeing the strengths of a diverse population. I mean, we know that diverse diverse groups of employees are more creative and more innovative, are more likely to create change. And I think in in a business like our own, where we're working at the cutting edge of change with our clients, I think making sure that we're able to bring to our clients that diversity of experiences, of viewpoints, of perspectives and subject matter expertise is essential. So I think to do that then, we need this inclusivity where everybody is welcomed to bring themselves, whatever whatever that may be, where that is encouraged that people speak openly you know, and you really feel like you can, you know, be yourself in the workplace rather than having to wear a kind of corporate mask in some way. So so that's what it means to me. How about your secret to success or is there one? Wow. Yeah, my secret to success. I think it's a little bit linked with that, actually, which is being myself. You know, I've always felt, you know, whether as a junior member of a team or a kind of more senior leader, that I have a responsibility to build a culture around me, which is a culture that I want to be in. So I really feel it's important to be myself. I mean, for me, that means you know, the talking honestly about when it's a good day and when it's not a good day, it means bringing a lot of laughter. You know, I I think laughter is a great way of bringing a team together, letting off a bit of steam. So, you know, and so creating an environment where we all enjoy the company of each other. We all enjoy the interactions we have. I think that's that's important. So I think the secret for me has been, you know, be myself. And, and I think if I add another thing, I think something I've learned over the years is not compare myself to others. I think we're all on our own career journey. Mine's taken a particular course combining the, you know, the, the leadership role that I've got within Accenture Song on the marketing side 
with this mental health piece, which is, you know, quite different, quite unique to some of the folks that I started my career with. But we're all on our own journey and celebrating that, I think, is really quite important. Love that. It's the universal language, laughter, isn't yeah, it? absolutely. So, <laughs> and it does, it so breaks down barriers as well, no matter what circumstance you may be in or, or meeting that is challenging, whatever it may be. And how about authentic leadership? I know it is a term that we hear and see an awful lot, but true authentic leadership, because you are such an open and candid leader, Jill. What is that to you? Yeah, I think there's a big dose of humility in, you know, being an open and authentic leader. I think we're in a world where the speed of change is, you know, way beyond what, you know, any one person individually can keep up with. And so, you know, the power comes from, the power of the team combined with technology, combined with data, all of those other good things. But I think, you know, bringing the humility about, you know, about being conscious of the things you don't know the answers for and being able to bring together a team that can balance that out, that can bring strength where you don't have. I think that's really important, actually. And I think what goes with that is that, openness that honesty that cultivating the open conversations about you know our strengths the areas that we need to learn the areas where we need to develop and build out our relationships in the business so yeah I think that that would be the main thing I would say I think any particular favourite podcast or book or anything like that that you're reading at the moment? We love to share learnings. Oh, uh, gosh. Other than this, obviously, being one of your favourites. Oh, obviously, this is this is my very favourite, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, that, absolutely. Oh, I've got really diverse tastes when it comes to podcasts and books. I've got a great external community outside of work, which is my book club, like many people are probably listening, and we, we read an awful lot of, you know, very diverse stuff, a lot of tat, actually, it has to be said, as well as kind of things that are a little bit more challenging, but, but that's good as well. Podcasts, I, I love Diary of a CEO with Stephen Bartlett, who I just think is an awesome leader. And he brings some really interesting people onto his podcast again the topic of mental health often comes up and you know I really love to hear the stories where people are kind of sharing you know their own story I love a kind of murder mystery type podcast or some kind of thriller for example I mean I've just been listening to one called Flight 149 which is the true story of the passengers and crew of a BA flight that landed in the middle of the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait and how the folks on board were taken as hostages and you know that's fascinating in terms of books I mean one that I could really recommend at the minute is one called Working Identity by Herminia Ibarra Uh, that's something that really struck a chord with me I think you know 
like many people, my career has been through a number of different stages and not necessarily kind of stages that I planned a long, long time in advance. But working identity is all about those kind of experiments that you have as part of your career where you take on additional areas of responsibility or do additional areas of learning and how those experiments can be sources of growth and sources of change in your career going going forward so that's a really great book and hearing experiences of people that have grown their careers through taking that more experimental view I adore the Stephen Bartlett podcast, Diary of a CEO. It is, I've not, uh, well, only recently started listening to it. And I think it is because of your recommendation now, come to think of it. But it is absolutely brilliant. I cannot believe that I did not find it uh, previously. It is fantastic. And I love the idea of working identity by her Herminia too. I'm, I'm collecting as many of these great books and titles, Netflix shows and tat as well, for your point. I like a good, healthy dose of all because with baby en route, I'm sure there'll be lots of late nights where I'll be podcasting and watching Netflix probably and all these kind of things. So I have already made a note of these. And again, for everyone who's tuning in, we'll put all of these details into the show notes at the end of today's show in case you missed them. Jill, final question. I wonder if you could go back in time and speak to the much, much younger Jill back when you are just about to embark on this fantastic career, yet not quite sure what you're about to do. You may be back in Derby, you're thinking, hmm, What's the plan next? And or it's someone who's on a similar, similar place or a similar path thinking, what are they going to do next? What might you say to your younger self? Oh, wow. What a great question. It's quite an apt question as well, because I've got an 18 year old who is about to go off to university. I hope, fingers crossed, subject to A-level results. And I've been taking her on university visits And my overwhelming feeling when I go around these university visits is I wish I could do it all again. And, you know, but do it as I was talking with a friend over the weekend, do it with that kind of knowledge and confidence that you get, you know, by this stage of of your life. And also with a bit of money behind you, it has to it has to be said as well. So I think. You know, I, I mean, it's it's easy easy to say and hard to do, but I think it is about celebrating being yourself, not trying to change. I remember hearing a great piece of advice from a wonderful teacher at my kids' school, who said to my daughter, who was twelve at that stage, she said, "Don't try and change to fit in with the people around you." Be yourself and you'll attract the people that are right for you. What a great life lesson that is. So I think my advice to my younger self is to be, you know, I guess live in the present a little bit more. Try and lose some of the anxiety that that is inevitable sometimes in your early 20s and 30s when you're kind of driving to create a new career recognize your superpower celebrate it and you know help it to be more evident to others rather than get too concerned about the pieces that 
that you feel may not be as good as the next person. So, so yeah, all about celebrating yourself, I think. Well, what a beautiful way to end the podcast. And your 18-year-old daughter is very lucky to have a mum like you. Oh. It makes me think of the quote, which I adore by Oscar Wilde, which is be yourself because everyone else is, is taken clearly. And it's been a real fabulous running theme throughout the narrative of this podcast. So I want to thank you ever so much indeed for so kindly being here and I dare say uh, doing a summary is rather challenging so I'm thinking to myself now where on earth do I start but some of the pieces that have really stood out to me are this absolute sense of humility and authenticity that you have and I feel it every time we speak I think it is a marvellous thing being able to encapsulate humility learning trial and error yet also to be able to really come out of the other side of these challenging times and be able to then impart that wisdom straight back to other individuals whether you work with them whether they are friends in personal life because this trickle effect of sharing in particular when it comes to mental health is so incredibly key for us to be able to continue keeping the awareness on and the momentum up for such critical subjects and clearly some of the statistics quoted are just so large they are physically impossible to ignore and so if you are an organization tuning in thinking well we really need to look at driving mental health as a a piece within our business well no time like the present to Jill's point these four key strategic pillars within Accenture and brand learning are are super. Promote, prevent, connect, and lead. Really super simple, but also very complex when you start to then get into all of the pieces around mental health, the whys, the human aspects. But these are things that can make such a significant benefit, not only to commercial business, UK, PLC, global organisations, but also deeply impact the personal lives of individuals. Mm. And finally, the art of storytelling. It's something which is, it really is an, an art. And it's something which is difficult to master, in particular, if you're telling your own stories for the first time. And those stories are to do with mental health as a real uncomfort to a certain extent. But I can promise you there really is such merit in doing so. And Jill, I'll end on this note because I really appreciate you sharing your story. It made me want to share my story. It will make many others want to share their story in turn. And so for everyone tuning in, do uh, try and share your story with someone and don't suffer in silence. If you have been affected by anything in today's podcast, don't be a stranger. If you haven't managed to write down all the notes in time, don't worry. They will be in the show notes at the end of today's show. We'll put links in there as well to Jill, her profile, uh, to Accenture, to brand learning. And so if you've missed anything, in particular, some of those great book and podcast recommendations, do not worry. There's also accessible versions as well, which are available in the Dial Global Network app on the App Store or your favorite podcast show. Sorry, not your favorite podcast show, your favorite podcast app, Apple, Spotify, uh, which and whatever you choose to listen to, 
or you can visit us directly www.dalglobal.org forward slash podcast and we shall look forward to seeing you again very soon.